0: okay welcome 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 to our spring semester roots and i'm glad you signed up to come to this class and uh, i want to welcome you a couple of administrative things to start out with the semester and tonight specifically Uh, we will not be live streaming this session it is available online but it'll be each following day so if you want to send it to somebody or you can't be here then the following day, it'll be online. And I encourage you, as I did in a previous service, start going to the website for it, uh, because I don't have to worry about anybody monitoring or uh, our website is us. So we, we can trust our website. Uh, there might be trouble with Facebook and some of the other ones in the future about uh, using our data. So anyway, go to our website, it'll be available. Um, we will plan to put it on Facebook and YouTube, but again, start getting in the habit of going to the website. It's easier, uh, tonight, uh, because it's our kickoff at the end of the session, there's a potato bar. They've got a meal set up, uh, with pulled pork and all this stuff up there in the fellowship hall. And you're invited to come and share a meal together at the end of the session. And, uh, the children's ministry guy did make a specific request. Pick up your kids first. <laughs> Don't go have a eat and then have a good time. And say what, kids? Because then they're going to come look, gunning for me. So, uh, so make sure they pick up their kids before they go and eat. And I'm excited about this. And the topic is uh, something we need to hear right now. And uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this new session. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, huge crowd that comes out tonight to To study and to know you, because to know you is to um, know—the Word is to know the Son, and to know the Son is to know the Father, to know the Father is to have eternal life. So, Lord, uh, lead us in these sessions, I pray, as I've prayed in years past, open our minds, our eyes, our ears to understand the Scriptures. For they're just words unless you write them upon our hearts. And when you write them upon our hearts, they become life eternal life in Jesus name, Amen. Amen. Now let me explain what the plan is. The first five sessions in our 13 part series are gonna be based on a Randy Alcorn book I read years ago called Heaven. We will then have one session on hail. And I'm not gonna give hail equal time to heaven. So it doesn't get as much time. The final seven sessions, this is 13 weeks, It will be based on three questions that Jesus' disciples ask him shortly before he went to the cross. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and it's Matthew twenty four three. And it says as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. Now I want you to get the context. It's it's probably Wednesday he's gonna die on Friday. And his disciples come to him privately and they ask three questions. When will this happen? He's just given them the Olivet Disc. He's, he's talking about the future events of the return of Christ. When will this happen? What well, will be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age. So this series, this 13 weeks is going to be heaven, hail, and those three questions. And um, so let's get started. And I start with this question for everybody tonight are you excited about the idea of going to heaven? now be careful before you ask before you answer what about right now? I mean everybody wants to go to heaven and nobody wants to die and I get that, That's, that should be how we look at it. We, no, we don't want to die you know our concept of, of our faith is life, it's not death so everybody wants to get, go to heaven, nobody wants to die but does the thought of heaven bring you heart-pounding anticipation or a sense of a little dread and anxiety because you're, you're, you're really not sure what that means. That's the point of these five sessions so that you'll understand what the Bible says about heaven. I'm afraid that many people have a severe misconception and this is called a non-biblical view of heaven. We're going to clear that up. Um, Many people have painted heaven as a place where spirit beings, Casper the friendly ghost kind of people, float around on clouds with harps and do nothing for all eternity except maybe eat cream cheese bars or something like that. That sounds more like hail to me. So tonight and for the next four weeks, we're going to look at heaven and see what the Bible tells us about this place, the place where we're going to spend eternity. So we begin with this statement, Satan is a liar. Let's start with the truth about the liar. Satan understands the wonder and glory of heaven because he came from heaven. Now that's interesting. He came from heaven. He has its orig- his origins in heaven. And let's go back and just catch a glimpse so that we understand why he might be a liar when it comes to the truth about heaven. So let's go to Ezekiel. It's one of those mystery verses. Chapter 28. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. This is God referring to Satan, Lucifer, the devil. I ordained you and anointed you as a mighty angelic guardian. Some people believe that he was the highest of all angels. Maybe higher than uh, Michael at one point. I I don't know. You had access to the holy mountain of God. And you walked among the stones of fire. He, he knows about heaven that's what I'm trying to communicate he knows about heaven he knows the truth about heaven you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created so he's not always been he's a created being Okay, he's, he's not eternal he's not always been from the day you were created you were blameless until the day that evil was found in you Your rich commerce led you to violence and, here it comes, you sinned. Satan sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I, God, threw you, Satan, to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. A lot of mystery inside those few verses. And Satan doesn't want you to know how great it is because that would be the truth and he is a liar. So he, one of Satan's tactics, and we're going to go into that tonight, is to prevent you, people on the earth, from knowing how wonderful heaven is. In John 8:44, Jesus is having an encounter with the religious folks of his days. These aren't pagans. These are the religious elites. And Jesus looks at them, and he says, You belong to your father, the devil. Now, that's fighting. Those are fighting words, right? If you don't believe me, you go say that to somebody at Walmart. See what happens. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, and there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of All lies. Satan's strategy is to keep you from the truth of heaven. Now, the Bible says he was a murderer from the beginning. Listen carefully. I want you to get this. If he can keep you from the truth, he'll murder you. The truth about heaven will be the way to heaven. And if he could keep you by deception from the truth of heaven, you will surely die. The word death is not your heart stops beating. The word death is separation from God. You will be separated from God for all eternity. So he was a murderer from the beginning. By removing the truth, what was the truth? Did God really say? What did he say to Eve? Did God really say, you won't die? He's separating somebody from the truth. If he can get you away from the truth, he'll murder you. That act in itself, removing the truth, is an act of murder. It's homicide. He's going to take your life. If he can get the truth out of you, away from you, separated from you, you will surely die. Did you know Satan lies about heaven? In Revelation chapter 13, it says the beast, and I want you to get this part. When you get over into Revelation 13, the beast is a man. He's the antichrist, but he is the anti- he's a man who has the spirit of Satan inside of him. So if I have today the spirit of Christ, and I do, I have the spirit of Christ in me, this will be a man with the spirit of Satan in him. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority, the authority of Satan, for 42 months. And once this man who has the spirit of Satan in him, he's the Antichrist in Revelation, once this man who has the spirit of Satan inside of him gets a chance to open his mouth, what's he going to do with it? What will Satan do with a moment like this? He opened his mouth and he blasphemes God. That's where he starts. He blasphemes God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So notice what it says Satan, our enemy, slanders, and there's three God's person, God's people, and God's place. He's a murderous liar. He's a murderer and a liar. He blasphemes God's person, God's people, and God's place. It's not a good idea to listen to those who belong to this world when it comes to heaven. Why do I say that? The page earlier, he says, You belong to your father, the devil. If you belong to the devil, you're going to speak like he speaks. You're going to believe what he teaches you to believe because you belong to him. Just like belonging to the Holy Spirit, you know the truth. Belonging to the unholy spirit, you don't know the truth. So it's not a good idea to listen to the world. Let me give you an example, Hollywood, when it comes to heaven. Because it's probably a lie considering the fact that Satan is the prince of this world, at least for now. He has a power and he has an influence and he affects people's minds with lies and what is he doing he's 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 slandering god's person god's people and god's place heaven so first john 4 notice the context but you belong to god my dear children so here's category a they belong to god they're the children of god You have already won a victory over these, those people, because the spirit who lives in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. So there's two spirits. We've talked about this for years here. There's only two spirits. There's the Holy Spirit, the unholy spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of God, the spirit of the anti-God, Satan, Satan. You have one or the other. Tonight, you operate under the authority of one or the other. There is no neutral. You can't say, well, I'm not either. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to decide. If you're waiting to decide, you're under the spirit of Antichrist. You just don't know it. There is no decision. You're born a sinner. You don't need to grow into it. You're born a sinner. Those who belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. We're talking about people's idea about heaven, people who belong to this world. When somebody who belongs to this world tells you about heaven, don't believe it because the one in them is a slanderer of heaven. He's a slanderer of God's people, God's place. So if you belong to this world, if they belong to the world, don't listen. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not be- listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So where are you going to go to find out what's on the other side of this life? Books? Google? The internet, an unbeliever, or this? Where are you, where, do you think it's to our best interest to find out what's on the other side of your last breath? Because we've all got a last breath coming. Unless Jesus comes and interrupts the process, we've all got a last breath. Where are you going to go to find out what happens next? Are you interested? Because I am. What's on the other side of that last breath? Satan doesn't have to convince you that heaven doesn't exist. He just wants to convince you that it's boring and undesirable, maybe like a dreamland without any physical form. Now, how many of you, let me ask a question because I'm curious. How many of you have vivid dreams when you sleep? Raise your hand. Not many dreamers in here. Um, in the last six months, I've had vivid dreams. Um, I don't know why. I'm not trying to make it spiritual. I'm just telling you, in the last six months, I've had vivid dreams, like really dream. dreams. Dreams. that when I wake up in the morning, I remember what it was in great detail, And that typically is not true. Um, a lot of people have the idea that heaven's going to be like you've had a dream and you just don't ever wake up and it's like dream land. And I think that sometimes people see heaven as like you go to sleep and you have dreams and they're really vivid, but they're not physical. You're, you're not really there. You're just in dreamland. And do you think that's what heaven is? Because a lot of people, if you'd be honest, that's how you see it. It's like this, this dream world that has no f- form or physical substance, it's just like a a dreamland. If he can do that, if Satan could get you to think of heaven in those terms, he would have you take your eyes off of the prize and maybe begin to think that life on earth is preferable to eternity in heaven because at least here you have physical form. Because at least here you can enjoy the senses that you can physically hear and taste and smell and, you know, you, you got feel, you, you got five senses here. In a dreamland, what are your senses? What are, what are they? You see, if he could convince you that it's just a, a ethereal world of dreamland, you might even come to the point that you would find it preferable to stay here that this would be better that's kind of a downgrade um and here's the point i really want to use tonight trading if he can do that he would have you trade your eternal birthright for a temporary bowl of soup and it goes back to the story of jacob and esau and i could spend the rest of the night on that and i'm gonna try not to Um, the story of Jacob and Esau is so critical in tonight's topic. Because if you don't know the story, I'm gonna give you the short version. Uh, Esau goes out, he's a hunter, and he's hungry, and he's gone out and he's he comes in and he's just so, so, so hungry. And Jacob has stayed at home that day and he cooked this red stew. And he must have been a pretty good cook. So he makes this stew, and Esau says, Give me some of that to eat. Now, you understand that Esau's the firstborn. Jacob is the secondborn in a Jewish family. Uh, The firstborn has the birthright. So, he's got the birthright, which means most of the stuff in the future is going to be his. He's the the one that gets it. So, Jacob's a conniver. He's a deceiver in his own right. And he comes in. Esau's hungry. And he asks him for food. And and Jacob says, I'll make a deal. You— You give me the birthright. You swear. You swear to God that you give me the birthright. I'll become the firstborn. I'll give you the stew. Is that a terrible deal? And the reason it's a terrible deal is that stew's going to be gone in just about 15 minutes. That birthright is forever. And there's Satan. That's it. Would you trade something right now for forever? And people are doing it every single day. Every single day. Esau um, becomes Edom. And Edom becomes the Edomites. That's his tree. So understand that they traded places. That day they traded places. Jacob becomes the firstborn, and listen, Jacob becomes Israel. What did Esau give up? Oh, my, 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 my. I could talk about this for a week. What did he give up? He could have been Israel, and he could have been the the seed through which the Messiah would come. You know, what did he give up? He gave up the rights of the firstborn. He gave up the right to become the line through which salvation would come to the earth, the Messiah. What? For a bowl of soup. Now, if you look at the Edomites, Edom, so what did he become? So if Jacob became Israel and he became the lineage through which Messiah would come, what happened to Esau when he made the terrible deal and he gets a bowl of soup? He becomes the people of Edom, he gets renamed. Where Jacob gets renamed Israel, Esau gets renamed Edom. And Edomites, when years later, when Moses leads the children of Israel out of bondage, who wouldn't let Israel pass through their land on the way to the promised land? Edomites. And God sent later people to kill them all. The Edomites, the descendants of Esau. Why? For a bowl of soup. Now, the reason I make such a big deal out of that is Satan has the ability to convince people by lying to them about the future value of your birthright. Jesus came to give you a birthright, a born-again position in the kingdom of God, born-again children of God. And you would trade that for a lie of Satan that gives you right now, today, pleasure? People are doing it every day. That's what sin is. It's trading away your birthright. Romans 9. In the words of the scripture, you're talking about a mystery. This is New Testament. I loved Jacob, I rejected Esau. I loved Jacob, I rejected Esau. Some translations say, I loved Jacob, I hated Esau. What's the difference between Jacob and Esau? Listen. A bowl of soup. Satan is powerful. And if he can make you take your eyes off of the future and only think about right now, you'll trade your birthright for soup. Something stupid. Satan wants to rob us of our joy and anticipation of heaven and keep us distracted with the temporary things of this earth, never to focus on the eternal things of heaven, only thinking about today's soup and never thinking about tomorrow's birthright, that I could be part of this eternal kingdom. Why would I want to tell someone about Jesus in heaven if it's boring, ghostly dreamland, right? Why would I be so excited about that? So let's let's go into the Scripture. Heaven, I want you to understand, it's a physical reality. It's a physical place. Do you think of heaven as a physical place or a spiritual spiritual place without any physical form? Will you have a physical body there? Now, we're going to get into this in future sessions in great detail. Will you have a physical body like this, like skin? Will you have a physical form? Is it an actual place, or is it like living a dream, a fantasy, without any physical human form or person? When Jesus—I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. When Jesus was resurrected, did he have a body? Yes. If you're going to be resurrected, if he's the first fruits of the resurrection, and you are the future fruits of the resurrection— Don't you think you're going to get a body? Now, listen, is that body like this body? No, it's an upgrade. Okay. He also walked through a wall, but he also ate fish. And it didn't just drop at the bottom when he put it in the top. (laughs) Right? He ate fish let's ask jesus because he's from heaven he would know right he's gonna know so here's what he says and i wonder if you've ever read it this way john 14 he says don't let your hearts be troubled trust in god trust also in me in my father's house i want you to notice his wording it doesn't matter how you translate it in english you're going to get the same example my father's got a house do spirits need houses In my Father's house are many rooms. Do spirits need rooms? If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place. There's a physical reality. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And by the way, can I tell you, there's one of Jesus' most direct applications to a rapture. And I wonder if you've ever noticed it. Let, let, me, let me sneak this in here. I'm going to take you to where I am. I'm not coming to where you are. I'm taking you to where I am. Which means in this case, his feet don't stand on the Mount of Olives. That's later. In this case, you meet him in the clouds. I will come in so that where I am, there you will be also. You're coming to me. In the second coming, when he stands his feet on the Mount of Olives, we're behind him coming with him back to the earth. There's the rapture. But here's the point. Do you think it's an accident that Jesus uses the words house, rooms, and place? He's going to prepare a place that's physical. It's not fantasy dreamland. Heaven is an actual physical place where you will spend eternity with Jesus and fellow believers. There have been much debate about the location of heaven and even more debate about the new heaven and the new earth. Let me, let me give you an example. When the Apostle Paul makes this statement that I've been taken up to the third heaven. So a lot of people don't understand what that means. You mean there's three heavens? No, no, no. Well, right now we live in the, in the world that Paul lived in. What's the first heaven? Well, that's our atmosphere, Right? What's the second heaven? That'd be the universe when you look out at the stars. What's past the galaxy? What's past what man can see and send spaceships to take pictures of? What's out there? It's the third heaven. There's a first heaven, our atmosphere. There's a second heaven, what we can see the Milky Way galaxy and what all is out there. What's past that? Paul says, I was taken to the third heaven, and I saw things, I experienced things. And you know what he says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. He doesn't know whether he was physically there or dreaming vision there. But he says, but there is real. It is physical. I don't know, but it's physical. So let me give you an example. What about the location? Do you care where the third heaven is do you care where heaven is physically located on a map if there was such a map i want to give you my perspective on this thought if i were a child and my parents told me we're going to see mickey mouse at magic kingdom do you really think i would care if it's the one in california or the one in florida i don't care i don't care if it's disney world or disneyland i just want to go now Noticing some of the recent activity at Disney, I'm not sure it's a good idea to take your kids there. (laughs) That's another message. When you study the Bible, one thing becomes clear to me, and I tell you, it gives me goosebumps, and you'll see it at the end. God has not given up on his original plans for humans to dwell on the earth, and he's going to have his garden. He's going to have his garden. And he has never given up on his original plan for people to live on this planet. And I'm going to show it to you. So, do you care where heaven's at? In fact, the climax of history will be the creation of a new heaven and a new earth in a resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with resurrected Jesus. That's how this story ends. That's the climax. New heaven, new earth, resurrected universe, resurrected bodies, living with resurrected Jesus. So, let me read it to you because there's a couple points I want to draw out. This is Revelation 21. It's after the thousand years reign of Christ on this present earth. And then it comes this. And I saw a new heaven. And I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So, what happens to the first earth? The Apostle Peter tells us it's going to be burned up in a fire. It's going to be, there's going to be a new one. For the first heaven and the first earth, the one we live on right now, the one, the atmosphere you look at and see around us right now, the universe that we see right now is destined for a renovation. It's going to be burned in the fire. It's going to be purified in the fire. Somebody asked me one time, do you think it just all disappears and he starts all over? Or does he just burn the top off of it? I said, do you care? I don't care. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that from his perspective, it's new. In fact, what does he say? Behold, I'm making all things new. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and earth had passed away. There's no longer any sea. What's that mean? Sea separates us separates the continents. You won't be separated. Nothing to separate us. And I saw the holy city and we got a new Jerusalem now coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now in this new heaven and this new earth, now, now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There being no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, are you ready? In that scene, where is heaven? I hope you saw it. It's on the new earth. Did you see it? I saw the holy city descending out of heaven. Descending, that's coming down. As a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, heaven's coming down here to the new earth. Are you disappointed? Somebody's thinking, I was hoping it'd be up there. (laughs) He's going to have his garden. It's going to be all new. And it's going to be down here and now the dwelling. What makes heaven heaven? Wherever God's at is where heaven is. And if God's in the third heaven, there's heaven. And if the third heaven moves here in the form of the new Jerusalem, this is heaven. Wherever he's at is heaven. You know where hell is? Wherever he's not will be hell. In 1952, listen to the story. It's a true story, by the way. In 1952, young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of the mainland California. She had already been the first woman to swim, swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly, and she could hardly see the boat that accompanied her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in a boat alongside told her she was close. You're close. You can make it. You're close. You can make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out of the water. It wasn't until she was in the boat that she discovered the shore was left less than a half a mile away. At the news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think I could have, if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. That's the purpose of this session. If I could have seen the shore, if I could have seen what I was swimming toward, I would have never stopped swimming. I'd have found some inner strength. I would have not lost my focus. I would have not been afraid. I'd have kept swimming. I want each of you to think about those words. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. For believers, the shore is Jesus. And the promise that he has gone ahead of us to build us a physical house in a physical place where we will live an eternal physical life in his physical presence. It's real. And I, sometimes when I'm facing a lot of adversity and it's really foggy in my spiritual life, and I look like the church is losing and the world is winning, I need to stop. And no, we're so close. We're so close to this prize. And I am not trading my inheritance for that soup. I'm not doing it. Satan, you lose. I will not make that transaction. It's not a dreamland fantasy created by weak minded people. You know what the world says about us Christians? We're weak minded people who had to create a fantasy of Jesus and eternal life in heaven to get through this very tough life. That's what they say about us. Do you know that? They think we're weak. It's not. It's a real place where real people are going to spend real time with a real Savior. And why is this such an issue? It's called mortality. Mortality. As humans, we have a terminal disease called mortality. Mortality. If you look it up, it's defined in the dictionary. It says, "subject to death." We got it. We're subject to death. The death rate of this disease called mortality is what? 100%. Isn't that good news tonight? And unless Christ returns soon, we're all going to die. Do you want the truth? I don't think we all sit around and ponder this all the time. It'd be a pretty rough conversation. But I think it's important to accept the truth. Jesus knew about our fatal condition And he came to deliver us from what? The fear of dying. He came to make sure that we would no longer, once we knew about heaven, once we knew about the resurrection, suddenly we would no longer have this fear of dying because why? It's called faith because we can never really die. Our tent dies, our outside dies, but we're not tents, we're not outsides, we're insides and our inside is us and it can't die Because he's life and he's in us. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Who's him? Jesus destroys Satan, who right now has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery of the fear of death. Oh no, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Could it be that our culture's rejection of God relates to its fear and denial of death? I want to spend some time on this. I believe that our culture's rejection of God Unbelief in God relates specifically to its fear and denial of death. They don't want to think about death. They don't want to act. They, they, they're afraid of death, so they refuse to deal with the reality of death. It goes back to that saying that I used to say all the time. I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. I believe that if you believed you were lost and dying and that Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. But what if you just never think about dying? You just, I don't want to deal with it. Because if I deal with it, then suddenly I start looking for a savior. Let let me prove the point. Some of you won't like this, but you're going to hear it anyway. COVID proves it. COVID proved to the world people are scared to death of death. And they will do anything, anyhow, any way to try to stop it. COVID proves it. It proves that the whole world will line up and do anything somebody says with the remote possibility that I can cheat death. Do you doubt that? Send me a nasty email. I'll just delete it. Go ahead. <laughs> In Christ, listen, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Can somebody say hallelujah? You know, it's called faith. Faith. In Christ, you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. It's the ultimate freedom. What, to be sure of what you hope for? Heaven. Certain of what I cannot see? Heaven. Resurrection. New body. Sure. Certain is called faith. You don't have faith. You don't have salvation. But with faith, you have salvation. When Jesus shows up at your funeral, everything changes. Why? So let me give you a couple examples. Um, I love this story. In Luke 7, one of my favorite stories, Jesus in the Bible. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples uh, and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she's a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said to the woman, uh, she's lost her husband, she's lost her son, she's all alone. He says, don't cry. why would he say that? And then he went up and he touched the coffin. Now, there's a large crowd here. (laughs) What a moment. Wouldn't you like to be there? He touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say you get up. The dead man sat up, and he began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. What would that do to fear of death when you saw that? All of humanity has a fear of death, whether they want to admit it or not. But what would happen to you if you saw somebody do that? Get up. Suddenly, death don't look as big as it used to. Suddenly, I've met somebody bigger than death. You just got to get him on your team, right? Or you got to get on his team, be a better application. When Jesus is at the funeral, everything kind of changes, doesn't it? So, do so you think this is just history? Let's do another one. John eleven seventeen. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And by the way, if you read the story. Jesus is not late. He's right on time. He stayed four days where he was so that Lazarus would be four days dead when he gets there. It's, it's a plan. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When, Mary, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, now this is interesting to me. Your brother will rise again. And what's interesting to me is Martha's response. Martha said, I know he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. She already knows about the resurrection of the last day. And that's kind of a gospel thing, you know but she already knows. So she's already got some inside information. She already knows, okay, your brother's going to rise again. It's going to be okay. Like in the future, one day there'll be a resurrection of the last day. And, and she says, I know that, but I'm not happy with that. And Jesus is going to say something to her. I am the resurrection. That's present tense. That's not I'm going to be the resurrection of the last day. No, I am the resurrection today. And I am the life today. And he who believes in me today will live, even though he dies. Even though he's four-day dead over the hill here. He's four-day dead over the hill here. Even though he dies. I can, I'm bigger than that. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says those four words. Do you believe this? The biggest question in your life will be this. Will Jesus be at your funeral? Because I just read about Nain and I read about Bethany and Lazarus and the widow's son. And when Jesus shows up at the funeral, death has no sting. Death has no power. There's someone there larger than death. I've preached hundreds of funerals. I have no idea how many funerals I've preached over the last 30 years. Too many. And this is the most important issue at that moment. Is Jesus at your funeral? Is he at my funeral? He who believes in me will live, even though he does. Do you believe this? So let's do something. In light of that background, we're setting the stage where we're going in this heaven stuff. With that background, let's take a moment and use our imagination. So I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes. Nobody's going to do anything weird to you. Close your eyes. And I want you to try to imagine what heaven will be like. Satan won't like it, but he already doesn't like us, so don't worry about it. I want you to close your eyes and use your imagination. What do you see? If you were to try to use your imagination to see heaven with your imagination, what does it look like? To get a picture of heaven, you don't have to look into the clouds. I want you right now in your mind to imagine planet earth without sin. Keep your eyes closed. I want you to think about earth as you know it today, but no sin, no death, no suffering, no corruption. Let's just lay that in to our imagination. I want you to add this to it. Restored fellowship with those who have gone ahead of us that grandparent that you absolutely adored and you're back with them even Bible heroes the apostle Paul wants to talk to you Abraham you got to get in line but you get to talk to Abraham flowers look around in your imagination unwilted flowers, grass undying, no brown spots, a blue sky, no pollution, people all around you with smiles and hearts full of joy, no anger, no sadness, no depression, nowhere, no how, palm trees, raging pure rivers, jagged mountain vistas, waterfalls, fishes, fish jumping in the lake, crawling out your name. Powerful, eternally healthy bodies, laughing, talking, playing, reminiscing, wonderful, pleasure-filled food, all you can eat. You never get fat and get a heart attack and die. (laughs) Heaven's going to be much like the Garden of Eden except no sin and no lying serpent. Now open your eyes. Would you trade a bowl of soup for that? It's the story of mankind. It's real. Listen to how the Apostle Paul, he's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah, describes this indescribable heaven. 1 Corinthians 2, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So here's tonight's wrap-up. What's on your mind? I want you to just think for a moment the last seven days of your life here on earth. Past seven days. What's on your mind? This is so important. What do you allow to enter and occupy your mind? What do you think about all day long? What do you spend your time thinking about? The Bible gives us clear instructions about this specific question. And this is literally. This is literal. It's not some figurative example. This is literal. Colossians 3.1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. First we set your hearts on things above. And then we set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. God commands us as believers, followers of Christ, to set our hearts and our minds on heaven. You know what that really means literally? It should be something you think about all the time. Not sometime, all the time. It should be on your mind all the time. Take your mind off of the temporary bowl of soup world and fix it on the eternal born-again birthright offered through Jesus Christ the Son. You got these two things that are beating you up every day in this kingdom of men, this bowl of soup world I live in and this eternal birthright as the blood-bought children of the Most High God. They're both right here. Which one am I going to think about? Soup, 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 soup. (laughs) Which one? Whichever one you're looking at is what you're going to be going toward. If all you're looking at is the soup, I heard somebody give this illustration, I don't know why, i would never heard this before in my lifetime, and, and I ride motorcycles. Um, they said that it's proven fact that whatever you're looking at on a motorcycle is what you're going to go toward. So, if you're, if you're in a rough curve or something's going on and the ditch is over there, don't look at that ditch. You look at that ditch, you're going in it. You know, look at the road. Look at the road because the bike is, is going toward what you're looking at. You, you don't know it, but it is. So don't look at the ditch. Look at the road. What you're looking at is what you're heading toward. And if you're looking at the soup, that bowl of soup, that temporary fix my taste right now, what I'm hungry for right now, that's where you're heading. But if you fix your mind and your heart upon the eternal birthright of Christ, you're born again, child of the most high God. He's made a place for you. He's fixed a house up for you. And I'm going to read something in a moment that's just, wow. He's fixed us a place. Then that's where you're going to move toward. Satan... The great liar and imposter wants us to set our hearts and our minds on earthly stuff. And that's why people get depressed. That's why they get lose their hope. Yes, we have to take care of our physical things on earth while we live here. But I can't stop thinking about heaven. I'm looking forward to a better place. I'm looking forward to a better country. You know, I'm as patriotic as the next guy. I I am. I I feel like I'm a patriot at heart. Um, I joined the Army when I was 17 years old. I'm proud to be an American. I thank God for allowing me to be born in this wonderful country. But my citizenship's not here. I'm sorry, it's not. My citizenship is in another place. My home is not here. I am an alien and a stranger in this place. In 1 John 2, 15, he says this. This is like this flashing red warning to believers. Do not love the world. There's that bowl of soup. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the craving of simple man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting about what he has and does comes not from the father, but from the world. That's the other father, Satan. This world and its desires like a bowl of soup are passing away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Do you want to spend your life in that which is passing away or that which lasts forever? Fix your eyes on heaven, on your future. We sing a song here quite a bit. It says, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. In Hebrews 11, chapter 11, we'll talk about it this past Sunday. The Bible talks about all the heroes of the faith and what they all had in common. They had their hearts and their minds set on heaven. Do not miss this. Everyone in that chapter had their heart and their mind set on the future, not on the present. If you were if they were fixed on the present, they would not have been in Hebrews 11. Were they perfect people? No. But they were looking forward to something that's coming. Let me read part of that, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, it's not in your notes because it didn't hit me until this morning, but I'm going to read something to you. When I read that this morning in my final preparations for tonight, when he said this, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared a city for them. What does Jesus say in the New Testament? He says, I'm going to prepare a place. My father's house has got a lot of rooms. I'm going to go make a place for you in my father's house, right? And immediately my mind went back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 because everything in the Old Testament is revelation of Jesus. It's a shadow. It's an unveiling of something that's coming in the future. So here's Moses and he's leading these two million people out of Egypt, out of bondage, and he's taking them to the promised land, okay? Now listen. Because we're in this story. It's Deuteronomy 6.10 if you want to write it down. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you. When he made a vow to your ancestor, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land. Now, I want you to put yourself in this story. He's taken Israel out of bondage. Moses is a shadow of our deliverer. And he's going to deliver them to the promised land. Now, where do we fit? Jesus is our deliverer. He's taken us out of the bondage of sin and death. We're in the wilderness right now. We're living in the wilderness right now. And Satan's offering us all a bowl of soup. And we're saying, no, I don't want your soup. I got something in front of me. And he's delivering us into the promised land. This is the physical reality of heaven. Listen carefully. A land, it's a land, large, prosperous cities that you did not build. When Moses, when Joshua takes them across the river Jordan, they inhabited a land that had houses they did not build. When you get into heaven, you will live in a house you did not build. This is a shadow. It's a shadow. Listen carefully. I'm going to go back at the beginning. The Lord your God will soon bring you into a land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestor Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods that you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from the vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. This is heaven. This is us. You're in this story. Everything that you're going to have in the future you did not do it. He did. He did. And when you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful. This is the warning to Israel. Do not forget your Lord, your God. What's on your mind today? Are you weighed down with the cares of this world? Have you thought about quitting or maybe this whole Jesus in heaven thing seems so far away? Perhaps it seems unreachable to you. Set your heart and your mind on heaven, and you'll be amazed at how your attitude's going to change. It's a real place where real people will spend a real eternity with the real Savior, and it's real close. If I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. That's what that lady said. I preached a sermon called Red Sky recently. And to my surprise... It's the most viewed online sermon perhaps I've ever preached. And I'm asking you why. Why do you think that is? To me, it's just a sermon. Why is it so, why was it so widely received? More than anything, more people watch that online in one week than normally watch them in five weeks. Why? Let me read it to you. The text of that sermon is this. Matthew 16, one day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from where? Heaven. To prove that you're from there. To prove your authority. And Jesus replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Jesus left them and went away. So here's my closing for this first session. Can you see the red sky today? Are you waiting for a sign that's larger than the resurrection from the dead? Are you waiting for a sign that's larger than Israel's rebirth in 1948? Are you waiting for a sign that's larger than the return of Jerusalem to Israel control in 1967? Are you waiting for a sign larger than the demonic events of October 7th, which have brought anti-Semitism that covers the earth? Are you waiting for signs larger than these? Today, there is a generation of believers that will not die, and what if you and I are that generation? What's that do to you tonight? What's it do to you? I mean, be real, be honest with yourself. What's that do to you? Does it scare the britches off of you, or it make you want to dance? Which one? Heaven's coming. And what does that do to you? Can you tonight, let me ask you, can you see the shoreline? Can you tonight see the shoreline? Can you see the red sky? I can. I do. So I want to close this way tonight. I want each of you, get your paper out, go to that last page, and we're going to do something together. I want each of you to read this out loud with me. And tell God that no matter what, I won't quit. No matter what, I ain't quitting. I can see the shoreline. I ain't quitting and I ain't ne- I ain't gonna eat no red stew. My English teacher would die. <laughs> I'm not quitting and I'm not gonna take the red stew. I'm holding on to the birthright of the blood-bought children of the Most High, God. So, let's read it out loud together. I have in italics made it first person. So, read it as it is in italics. It's you and I speaking to God right now. Since then, I have been raised with Christ. I will set my heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I will set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. For I died, and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is my life, appears, then I will also appear with him in glory. Wow. Our Father, God in heaven, receive these words as a living testimony of who we are. We will not quit. We will not trade our birthright that comes through the blood of your Son for the world's bowl of soup. Father, empower us by your Holy Spirit. Let us see the shoreline. May may we know it's so, so, so close. And may we see the red sky for what it is. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all. Remember the potato bar. Remember to get your kids, okay? (laughs)